The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. China's President Xi Jinping emerges with even more power at the conclusion of the country's twice-a-decade leadership shuffle. And two U.S. telecom firms are trying once again to dial up a merger. These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of finance. I'm your host, Jennifer Sabe. Anthony Curry is traveling on business, but don't worry, I have many of my colleagues who are here to help me out. And the first one is joining me on the line from Washington is Breaking Views columnist Chris Bedore, who's been closely following the political chess moves happening in China. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great. Well, I know you're probably exhausted because you have been, as I said, closely watching um, this, what seems like a huge political uh, moment in China. And, and just like the way I see it from, you know, the United States and sitting here not knowing much about the subject is, so this happens once every five years, uh, a bunch of um, political people go behind a curtain or have a bunch of meetings. It seems very secretive. It, it reminds me a lot of like how the Vatican decides to choose the Pope, you know, people kind of go away. And then a week later, there's this poof of white smoke and the Pope emerges. And, and this kind of feels like that moment. Um, explain to me how this works and and the significance of the results of what happened. Yeah, sure. So the Party Congress, I think you're pretty much exactly right that it's a very secretive body. Um, it gathers once every five years. It's about a little under 2,300 party delegates will come to Beijing. Um, and it represents the most authoritative party gathering on the political calendar. And what they do is essentially, it boils down to three different things. So first, they meet to present an official assessment of the past five years, how they've been doing. And as you can guess, it's always pretty laudatory. Um, The second thing that they do is they revise the party constitution. And the third thing that they do is they select new leaders. And that includes uh, the Central Committee, this um, more than 300-strong body, which in turn elects the 25-member Politburo and then the seven-person Politburo Standing Committee which is the highest political organ in the country. Um, And I think that the takeaway uh, from this is clearly that she has emerged much stronger um, than when he went into the the 19th Party Congress, even if he didn't quite run the board, per se. So it emerges, a couple things that um, stick out here. He is, again, elected, if that's the proper word to use, as president, but then... Also, in the amended constitution, they and maybe you can explain this better because I don't quite understand it. They uh, amended or attached to his uh, title uh, Xi Jinping thought or theory. Um, explain the significance of this because it, it just sitting back here, it's it seems kind of rote, but but then at the same time, it's like he's going to be like even entrenched even more, and this is the way the country should be thinking. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a very rarefied document, but it's very important. So the question was always going into uh, the party Congress. We knew that there was going to be amendments to the party constitution. Uh, We did not know whether or not Xi Jinping's name would appear in the party constitution. His past, his previous, um, his, his two predecessors, did not get their full names in the party constitution. So, at who, this but point. let me stop you here. Who whose names are? Is anybody? Is it just 
um, Chairman Mao, is that the only person who has his name attached to this document? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Okay. Um, it's Marxist-Leninism, um, oh, and then you okay. have Mao Zedong Sot, and then you have Xi Jinping Siri, and then you have what's called the Three Represents, and then you have the Scientific Outlook on Development. Um, and what those do is essentially they rank the party's influences. So you've got Marx and Lenin up at the top, and then you have the next on the list would be Thought. So that's Mao Zedong. And then beneath that, you have Theory. So that's Deng Xiaoping. And then beneath even that, Three Represents corresponds with the former president, Chiang Zemin. Scientific Outlook on Development co- corresponds with uh, Hu Jintao, another former president. So what she ended up getting was Xi Jinping thought, and the entire um, phrase is much longer, but essentially it puts them on par with Mao in terms of the party's, in, uh, in, in terms of his influence and uh, his grasp on the party. So how does this happen? I mean, it, it, t- take us back to 2012. That was the last time this Congress met. Is that is that correct? That's right. And how did Xi Jinping... That was the first time he was uh, um, emerged as president. So how did he get this power? And is it truly, uh, does he have the backing of the entire political body or is this just showmanship and that he's taken out all of his enemies? And because the the, the election was unanimous, is that correct? Yes, it was unanimous. Um, of Which course, is suspicious. In a <laughs> right. And, right. <laughs> totally suspicious. There's, so how, There's how good does, reasons for it to be unanimous. How does one just kind of append their name to, to, to say, this is my thought and this is how it's going to go forward? How do they put themselves on the same level as, uh, as Mao? How did he consolidate this power? Yeah, the, the short and brutally honest answer is that we don't know for sure. Um, nobody does outside of the upper echelons of power. It's a very opaque system, going back to what you were saying at the introduction. Um, but as far as what we can kind of gather from, from open source um, uh, open source information is that around 2012, Xi Jinping comes into power. And uh, you have to go back to that time and understand kind of the zeitgeist in Beijing at the time. There was a lot of feeling that the Hu Jintao era, uh, so his predecessor, had been kind of a lost decade, that they hadn't gotten a lot of key reforms done, that um, there were so-called vested interests that were blocking up reform, and that you needed a much stronger individual at the top to break through some of these again, so-called vested interests, and implement reforms. And so she came in with what now seems clear is uh, some sort of mandate. How broadly was that mandate shared among the elites? We're not really sure. But he embarks on this anti-corruption campaign that in part takes out some of his um, sort of would-be rivals. Um, So that's one factor. Um, But more broadly, he embarks on this kind of campaign, almost a, almost a psychological push that we are going to rejuvenate the Chinese nation, we are going to achieve what he calls the Chinese dream. Um, and he is, you know, it's, he's genuinely popular in China, um, and including among the elite. Um, so that probably goes some way to explaining why, at the end of the day, what, what he needs to do to get his name onto that document is he needs to persuade um, anywhere from probably about 100 to 200 other people that really run the country to go along with him, to agree with him that his name is going to go into that charter. Okay. And uh, for whatever reason, he, because of uh, his policy agenda and sort of what he embodies in his first term, he was able to, uh, he was able to pull that off. All right, so let's, let's step back here a little further. What does this mean for China's economic development, if anything? 
Is it status quo? Um, is, the, is this a pivotal changing point for China right now? If I'm doing business there, what does this mean? Yeah, it, that's the million-dollar question. Um, there was this notion that was very popular back in around 2014, 2015, that what she was going to do was he was going to consolidate power in his first term. And then once he had his loyal lieutenants in place, he was going to embark on these very major market reforms in his second term, um, and that because he would be in a position to essentially push his will onto the bureaucracy and break through those so-called vested interests. Um, I think that's really fallen out of favor right now, that, that whole line of thinking. I think the, overall the entire China analyst community, if you will, has grown much more deceptive toward Xi's reform agenda, and they're not willing to take his promises of reform at face value. So mm-hmm. what I talk about in that column and, and what I try to highlight is, uh, first of all, I think it's a mistake to think of Xi as a market reformer or perhaps only as a market reformer. So in reality, his economic policy agenda has never been especially coherent. It hasn't really even been consistent over time. Um, and his opening speech to the party Congress very much reflected that. So you had some encouraging pro-market noises, but at the same time you had some very discouraging talk about the role of the state and the party in capital allocation. So at this point, I don't think that there's a lot of evidence to think that there's going to be a very sharp departure in terms of his overall approach to the economy um, from what we saw in the first term. And there's a second factor here as well, which is that there's kind of a fundamental tension between Xi's desire to amass more control at his personal level and at the party level um, with his desire to push for more market liberalization. Hmm. Um, Because many of the best Those two things seem at odds. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, frankly, many of the most effective policies in China during its reform period have come by a local government and their ability to experiment, um, the massive decentralization, decentralization that occurred after um, after Mao, uh, Mao passed away. So um, now what you have is the entire bureaucracy in China is essentially being rewired. It's moving in a much more centralized direction. It's moving in a much more conservative direction. So that means that you see less pushback from the ministries, from local governments against bad policies. There's less input from business on policy making. There's fewer reform initiatives at the local level. It's not really clear yet how much of an impact that's going to have going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but at face value, it's not very encouraging. And if she's first term provides any indication, um, his second term, I think, might disappoint the, the biggest boosters of, of his administration. Okay, well, I have one final question before I let you go. And and this is something that I've been thinking about. So he has consolidated more power. It's a, at a time when the United States is stepping back from the world stage. Um, Europe is a mess. Um, so to me, this seems like an opportunity for China to kind of come in and wield a lot more international influence. Do you see that happening? Is it is it a vacuum that Xi Jinping is willing to kind of come in and fill? I think it will happen, but I think it'll happen in a lot in a much more um, awkward manner than many people think. So there's there's still a debate that you can see playing out within Beijing right now of essentially, oh my gosh, the United States is now turning inwards with America First policies. Um, Europe has its own issues related to Brexit and negotiating over what the EU is and will become. Um, and now we've kind of been thrust onto the world stage, and what are we going to do with it? And there certainly is a faction that says, you need to, we as a country need to 
exert much more leadership in the global era. And, and she referred to that in his speech to the party Congress. Um, and he's done things like give, you know, key speeches at Davos earlier right. this year and so forth. But it's very conflicted. I mean, there's not really a coherent strategy outside of, you know, uh, their kind of signature programs like Dalton Road Initiative and a few other ones. Um, but it's, it's not really clear what they want to do. Um, it's not really clear how willing they are to kind of go to bat for the existing international system, um, because to be honest, they're still figuring it out. So mm-hmm. instead, what you have is these focal points like, oh, Belt and Road Initiative. Um, everybody's on board with that because she's on board with that, and um, so we're all going to fall in line. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to other policy programs and agendas for kind of the international stage, um, right now we don't really see a very coherent. Um, a very coherent approach to that, but just due to China's size and its growing influence economically, politically, and so forth, um, it's it's hard to escape the conclusion that you know it's it's going to play a, a much bigger role, um, whether it wants to or not. Okay, Chris, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care, Rob Siren. Welcome to the program. So, I have you on because we're going to discuss yet again. Sprint and T-Mobile, the possibility that they will finally get together and merge. Um, So this has been in the ether for weeks now that this is going to happen at any moment. Well, the idea has actually been around for 10 years. We'll get there. We'll get there. So but just recently, it's picked up a lot of steam again. It's it's, you know, popped its head back up. And um, T-Mobile reported uh, Monday, just kind of a surprise announcement. Uh, Sprint reported uh, today. Um, What just Taking a step back, what is happening with the telecom landscape, and why do these two guys want to get together so again? Have, you have four providers in the U.S., four operators, um, and growth has stalled. Basically, there's no more growth. Everyone's got a cell phone. Um, the problem is that the, the the two smallest companies aren't making very much in profit. Sprint has actually been, you know, barely profitable yeah. for years. They, they're in a world money. of hurt. Yeah, they're, they're in a lot of problems. The idea is that if you combine them together, um, you can cut a lot of, say, a lot of uh, costs. Uh, I've heard estimates saying they're worth about $30 billion, the cost cuts. So if you do that, then you have the idea is you have three strong um, competitors. And, and that's the idea they're pushing. They're saying, this is, this is great because that means we can invest more money in the services and we'll have, you know, instead of these weak companies, we'll have, have three strong companies. Uh, regulators probably won't see it that way. Though. Okay, so th- that's the thing. Like, this is a, a similar argument that they made in 2014, right? And just also add that the the largest telecom player in the U.S. is Verizon, and then followed by that is AT and T, and they are the the two largest players by like a long shot. I mean, I think there's a big gap between AT and T and T Mobile. Um, so, what has changed? Since 2014, I mean, because it seems like the exact same argument. So what happened in 2014 is they they tried to have um, they were going to do a merger, um, and then regulators shot down saying you don't want to do this um, because it's going it, to it, it's going to reduce competition. And what do you know? It actually competition has taken off. You've seen a big pricing war. Um, companies are cutting the costs. Sprint, for instance, says now if you switch their network, you get a year's worth of free service, which is great for customers. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole reason that happened is because T-Mobile is an, 
didn't you know didn't merge and, and is still an existing company and they've been the most aggressive in trying to win over customers and starting price wars and they actually have have leapfrogged over sprint right because in 2014 sprint was going to buy t-mobile mm-hmm. and now it seems like the rules have been reversed yeah exactly yeah, now because... sprint's the one that's desperate and was you know almost bankrupt uh, last year so okay again going back to this though it's you know fast forward 2017 the what has changed other than uh, is there any sort of like idea that because Trump is president, this this will really get through? Or is there any, um, you know, what what are the poss- what are the probabilities that it won't go through? And that's the only really thing. That, well, the, the, there are two things. So first off, um, the last time the regulars, you know, said publicly they'd be against it, but they never actually tried to push this through and, and see what would happen. Um, the other thing is that Trump, as you say, has been elected and. Sun is a friend of Trump. Uh, so Sun is well, the, the so, SoftBank so, Soft is Bank. the majority owner. SoftBank is the majority owner of uh, Sprint. And SoftBank's founder, um, Mariyoshi Sun, is uh, he was one of the first people to, to foreign people to congratulate Trump on his presidency. He pledged he would invest lots of money in the US. Um, Trump tweeted, you know, see he recognizes uh, my ability and he was you know he was he make a, made a big fact of the fact that um, SoftBank was going to invest all this money in the U.S. So there could be some sort of, uh, you know, kind of idea that, that this administration is going to be more power, uh, more friendly towards a big merger than yeah. the ones in the past. Um, that said, you know, it's a very concentrated industry, and the staffers of the FCC, the one who the agency that be looking this over, um, have s- seemed to be very skeptical of the idea that that three competitors is better than, than four. And, and they just put out a report to the, the FCC saying that looking at the competition of the marketplace, saying how great the competition has been since these there have been four players in the marketplace. Yeah, they said it was the first time they've had effective competition in the cellular markets since I, I don't know when, 10 years or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, OK, well, let, let's talk about one more point that seems to be kind of made again and again when uh, one of the benefits of combining these two companies, which is so Sprint um, is just has so much debt on its books, right? And 30 billion, right? So it's interesting that the synergy number would effectively wipe out Sprint's burdensome debt. Um, But their ability to invest has been severely hampered. So I was just kind of looking up at some of the numbers. And it seems like according to Thomson Reuters data, uh, their capital expenditures uh, are uh, for the last 12 months been around roughly four billion dollars, and then you know T-Mobile is, is well over that by like 11 billion. So the idea is that um, they would take the synergies and they could reinvest in network and 5G and all this kind of stuff. Which uh, talk to me about this argument because they they did make this argument in 2014 too, right? And you're kind of skeptical about this. I'm not skeptic. I'm I'm not skeptical at all that there are savings. Um, no, 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 no. About what they'll do with the savings. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, like I said, they're going to be huge savings. The question is, will they pass it on to consumers? Um, you know, as we've seen, they've basically passed on all. They've had a price war, and and so the consumers have benefited tremendously over the past you know several years from this competition. The idea that, say, hey, we're going to have all this money and we're going to save it and we're going to invest it in the network, why? You know, there's no there's no reason for them. If there's less competition, there's less need for all the companies to invest in their networks. Companies like, you know, 
uh, T-Mobile is investing very hev heavily in their network because they want to gain customers. Right. If and from companies like Sprint. Right. If there are fewer co fewer companies in competition, they'll probably invest less. And so would they? But would they also start going? I mean, you could. The counter argument would be that they're going to try and take out AT and T or you know leapfrog over AT and T, um, which seems. Uh, quixotic, maybe? Maybe? I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the landscape's changing so much. I mean, AT&T reported um, yesterday, and they, um, you know, had losses in their U.S. video subscribers, which that's, like, been a big push of theirs. Um, so it's not, it's not clear if anybody's strategy is, is completely working. And no, it, it's, it's a mature market. I mean, like I said, we started off saying everyone in America pretty much has a cell phone yeah. who wants one. Um, and when when those markets, when markets stop growing, companies, instead of trying to find additional customers, they, they try to compete against each other. It just seems odd that you would want to, you know, one of the, so to make another point, um, Jenny Yellen recently, when she talked about inflation, she said one of the biggest reasons for declining costs to the average American was declining cell, cell bills. And Americans pay a lot more for phones than people in other countries and yeah, most other developed right. countries. That's a good thing. You know, you'd think you'd want to get to encourage this trend and encourage competition and have these companies to just, you know, to bleed all over the place <laughs> <laughs> and benefit us. I mean, the, the, you know, our system doesn't exist to benefit AT&T and T-Mobile and Sprint. These companies are saying, hey, you know, we, we want three strong competitors. Who cares? You know, we don't, we don't our, our goal isn't for them to have lots of profits. Our goal is to have cheap, good cell phone coverage. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Rob. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Chris Bedore and Rob Siren, And hats off to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio, Ryan Warner, and Freddie Joyner. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. <laughs>